Well, I bring you greetings again today, even though we're not together in uh, physical presence again today. It's good to be able to connect in this way. My mind went to a verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul wrote, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. I think that speaks for us, absent in the flesh, present in the spirit. And although we haven't had the privilege to behold each other physically very much recently, uh, we can still joy in uh, the fellowship that we're able to have. The story has been told of a boy who received a brand new bicycle for his birthday. He was so excited to have this bicycle, he took off the street to ride around the block. A few minutes later, he came down the street from the other way, and as he passed in front of the house, he called out, Look, Mom, no hands. He had learned to balance his bicycle without holding on. Kept on going by, circled the block again. A few minutes later, he came by yelling out, Look, Mom, no feet. He had learned to balance his bicycle without having his feet on the pedals. Well, this time he was going a little bit longer. And when he came back the third time, the enthusiasm was gone from his voice when he cried out, Look, Mom, no teeth. He had fallen and broken them out. Well, that might be about what you expect from a show-off. Many times, show-offs are headed for a downfall. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks very directly to religious show-offs. And this morning, we'll be looking at the first 18 verses of this chapter. These verses address various topics, but they also address one theme. Some of the topics that are addressed are alms deeds, doing good works, praying, and forgiveness, and fasting. But throughout these topics, there is a common theme. Do I live for the approval of man, or do I live for the approval of God? I plan to preach several sermons from these verses, and focusing this morning on the theme of living for the approval of God rather than that of man. And in future sermons, Lord willing, we will look more specifically at the topics mentioned here of alms deeds and prayer, looking at the Lord's Prayer, and also that of forgiveness and fasting. The title of the message today is, Look at Me. Now, I'll give a bit of a disclaimer with that. Uh, the title is not the challenge of what we should be saying, but rather a reflection of what we often tend to say, or if we don't say it, we tend to think it or live in that way. And uh, we want to look at Jesus' response to that. So in preparation for the message, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 to 8 and then verses 16 to 18, which will be the passage, uh, the focus of the message this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, 
For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your heavenly Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not, as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that they appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly." Several months ago, Caleb King had a topic here on a Sunday morning, a topic on holiness. And in that topic, he asked some very pertinent questions. He asked, would you rather appear holy or be holy? Would you rather have men consider you holy or have God consider you holy? Those are very good questions. And in this text that we're looking at today, Jesus addressed those questions very directly. And he gave a very clear response to them as well. Do not do what you do simply to be seen of men. But at the same time, we are concerned about our public image. And perhaps we think we should be concerned about our public image. Is that okay? Or is it all just vanity and hypocrisy? Is there a balance? Or is it simply all one or the other? So why do you do what you do? What is your motivation for the things you do? The point Jesus is making in this text is not so much what you do as it is why you do what you do or what you're seeking. You see, you can do a good thing, but if you do it for the wrong reasons, it loses its value. So this morning, we want to consider our motivation behind what we do. And we want to think about the kind of recognition that we are seeking. We will look at three types of recognition this morning and uh, describe some aspects of each of those. So the first type of recognition is vain recognition. What is vain recognition? Well, I think Jesus described it quite well in this passage, in his Sermon on the Mount. Vain recognition is a drive to receive glory from others. In verse 2, he talks about the hypocrites that sound a trumpet before they do their alms, that they may have glory of men. So vain recognition is a drive to receive glory from other people. Furthermore, in verse 5, he talks about people that are praying, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men or that they may be noticed by others. So vain recognition is a desire to be noticed by others. And then in verse 16, again, he mentions these um, hypocrites that when they fast, they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. 
You see, they're trying to make an impression on people. They're doing what they're doing with the motivation of impressing people. So this is vain recognition, a drive to receive glory from others, to be noticed by others, to make an impression on others. Vain recognition is being more concerned about what people think than about what God thinks. Which do you think about more often? Do you think about what other people are thinking of you or what God thinks about you? That could help you to evaluate what type of recognition you're looking for. Is it vain recognition? Vain recognition is being more concerned about what people think than about what is right or wrong. They don't necessarily ask what's right or what's wrong. They think more about what people would think about what I do. Vain recognition is more concerned about making a good impression than it is about actually serving someone or sacrificing something for others. They're not so much concerned about if I'm meeting someone's needs as if it appears that I am serving someone. Vain recognition is trying to impress the neighbors or your co-workers or your fellow church members or whoever it may be with the things you do, the houses in which you live, the uh, vehicles you drive. If your motivation is to impress people, that is vain recognition. And vain recognition is also more concerned about your legacy than it is about your loyalty to God. You know, what will people remember me for rather than that total loyalty to God? An example of vain recognition in the Bible that we may be um, familiar with or that we are familiar with is that of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they were um, part of the early church and uh, people were active in the church. People were giving, they were sharing. Some were even selling their properties so that they had money to give to the church, more money to give to the church. Ananias and, Ananias and Sapphira got their heads together and they thought, you know, we could sell our property and we could give part of the money to the church. That way it would look like we're doing what some other people are doing. It would make us look good. But they were not being transparent about what they were doing. So they were not motivated by the need. They were motivated by the attention that they would receive. And in their search for vain recognition, they were not being transparent. They had these hidden motives within them. On the surface, they wore a shell that said, I'm good, I'm pure, I'm great. But they were sacrificing principle for popularity. And they did what they did simply for a good name. Well, if they received a good name from it, it was rather short-lived. It may have lasted a few hours, but it certainly did not last very long. Now, in the examples that Jesus gave here in Matthew chapter 6, I find it interesting that he did not use material or physical examples in seeking for recognition, but rather he used examples from our spiritual lives, spiritual disciplines, things like, like giving, like praying, like fasting. And I think he did that for a reason, because it is especially important that we do not use our spiritual activities or what appears to be a spiritual activity with the intention of attaining the praise of men. 
that just entirely defeats the purpose for why we do them. I would be rather disappointed if, while I'm preaching a sermon, you would break out in applause, clapping your hands, or at the end of the sermon. It would make, it would give the atmosphere of a performance rather than receiving a message from God. And my prayer before a sermon is that God's word would speak and that God's spirit would speak. And perhaps we can express our joy to God sometimes by clapping our hands, but probably not by applauding a person necessarily that he uses. And personally, I think the same thing can apply even to our singing or specifically when we have a singing group here in our church. We refer to this as a house of worship, a place of worship. And we gather here to, to worship God and not to laud the achievements of men. And if a singing group comes here, I believe they come with a desire to draw our hearts to God and our minds to God. And frequently, before a singing group gives a program, they'll have a time of prayer. Uh, what do you think they're praying in that time of prayer? Do you think their prayer is that we would be impressed with their performance or that we would be drawn to God? So that's something to think about the next time uh, you're in a church somewhere listening to a singing group. If a song speaks to you, I think a hearty amen would be an appropriate way to express that and to uh, not distract our minds from God. So one type of recognition that we can seek is vain recognition. The second type of recognition that we may seek, I will refer to as valid recognition. Not all recognition that we receive from people is vain recognition. Some of it is valid. And Jesus acknowledged that we will be noticed by other people. In verse 17 of Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, why would you do that? Is it to make your fasting more effective in some way? No, it's because people will see you. Jesus acknowledged that. People will see you. And when they see you, you should not be looking for vain recognition, but simply for valid recognition. They should see you for what you are, not for some impression that you're trying to make. You see, vain recognition is a good impression that you're trying to make, which may or may not be true. And it's a desire to receive glory to yourself. Valid recognition is tied more closely to what you actually are and to your character. You see, reputation is what people think you are, but character is what you actually are. And valid recognition is a desire to be real, not like Ananias and Sapphira, but to be known for beneficial qualities, that which is helpful to others. Now, I think it is good, I think it is appropriate, and I think it is biblical to receive valid recognition for who you are. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So that teaches that a good name is appropriate. We should live in such a way that people have uh, positive thoughts about us. 1 Timothy 3.7, talking about pastoral qualifications, says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. So again, a valid recognition is appropriate here. 
In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul refers to, to others that rule. He says, let them be counted worthy of double honor. So again, there's recognition that takes place. So as we think of valid recognition, what do people think of you? What kind of a testimony do you have in your community? These are, are valid things to consider. I believe a Christian should have a good credit score. He should be known as one who pays his bills promptly. He should be appreciated by local businesses. When you walk into a, a store, a business, they should be glad to see you there and not groan. Oh no, here he comes again. A Christian should be respected in the neighborhood and in the community. Known for giving a good deal, one that is more than fair. As Luke 6, 38 indicates, where it talks about giving good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You see, valid recognition is not showy or splashy. It does not seek to get attention. It is simply doing what is right. It's motivated by a love for others rather than love for self. Valid recognition suffers long and is kind. It envies not. It vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, because it is motivated by love. I think Paul was someone who recognized the value of a valid recognition. You know, he was not afraid to use examples from his own life. In his testimony and sharing, many times he referred to experiences that he went through and to his relationship with God, to his prayers and so forth. But he didn't do this with an intent to bring glory to himself, but to point people to Christ. And on in numerous occasions, he listed his credentials, he listed his experiences, his accomplishments, his trials. But he did so to help others forward. So when you share stories, experiences, is it to exalt yourself? That's vain recognition. Or is it to point people to God, which is a valid recognition? Paul mentioned, referring to many of these experiences that he shared, he said, but I, I, I want you to understand something. I would that ye should understand, brethren, that these things which happened unto me have fallen out rather onto the furtherance of the gospel. That was his motivation. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And Philippians 4.9, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Again, pointing men to Christ. So there is vain recognition, and there is valid recognition. But there's a third type of recognition, and that's the type that Jesus was really emphasizing here in this passage when he kept telling us over and over again that what you do, you need to do it onto your Father, which is in heaven, who sees in secret. What is the third recognition? The third recognition is vital recognition. Just as there is a difference between something that is vain and something that's valid, there's also a difference between something that's valid and something that is vital. You see, something that's valid is good and beneficial. Uh, you might depend on it, but you can probably survive without it. Something that's vital, on the other hand, is critical to survival. You cannot do without it. For example, 
my hand is a very valid appendage. It's very beneficial. I depend on it. But I could survive without it. However, I do have some parts of my body that are not only valid, they are vital. Sometimes we hear reference made to our vital organs. Certain organs that are very critical to our, to our survival. Now, I know people that are living, getting along quite well, without some of their organs. I know people who do not have their appendix. I know people who have had part or maybe even their entire colon removed. You see, these are not known to be vital organs. Some of them, they, they serve a purpose. But there are organs that are vital. I don't know of anyone that is living without a heart or without their lungs. You see, these are vital. You cannot do without them. So the recognition of man may be vain or it may be valid. But the recognition of God is vital. In the long run, it's the only thing that matters. As we think about this vital recognition, we need to remember that we are living for an audience of one. Living for an audience of one. The term audience of one has been around for quite a few years. And it means that we do not live for the recognition of the cheering crowds, but for the one person who created us, the one person who sees everything we do, and the one person to whom we will ultimately answer. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. You see, in the long run, it is his opinion and only his opinion that really matters. That's why we are living for an audience of one, doing our deeds unto the Lord. What men may say, what men may think, the glory they give will make no difference to me when I've lived my final day. All the ribbons, certificates, trophies, plaques, medals, awards, honors that you might receive here on earth, they will all disappear. They will mean nothing. Their value will be zero, absolutely zero. And the same thing applies to financial empires, bank accounts, earthly possessions. Recently, I read a story about a man who lost his way while crossing a vast desert in the Mideast. And he was lost out there in the desert for days. He traveled for days, ate all the food he had with him. He was running out of energy. His strength was depleted. He was getting desperate. Finally, he came to this small oasis out there in the middle of the desert where some former travelers had rested. He was desperate for food. And as he neared this oasis, he saw one small bag that had been left lying there. Eagerly, he opened it. But to his keen disappointment, he found a bag full of gold rather than figs or dates or some other food. And at that point, all the gold in the world was useless to that man. He, it, it was not worth a thing to him because he was missing the one thing he really needed, food, energy, that which provided life. And the recognition of God is a, is a vital recognition. It is the recognition that we need when we stand before him. Anything else you've ever attained 
will be absolutely worthless. So why is God's recognition so vital? Why are we living for, before an audience of one? Why should we be thinking of God in everything we do? Well, one reason, God sees what nobody else sees, what no one else sees. There's many verses in the Bible that indicate God is watching. Uh, Psalm 33, 18, the eye of the Lord is upon those that fear him. 1 Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. You see, God sees every struggle you go through. He sees when you do not receive the approval of men. He sees if men make fun of you for what you do, or if you just feel lost in the shadows in the corner and nobody cares about what you do. God sees. He sees if you're doing the right thing. He sees if you're doing what honors him. He sees the hours that you spend laboring alone in prayer or the gifts you may give. He sees when you take the opportunities that are before you. You know, there are times, perhaps when I'm at work or at home, that I have the opportunity to do something. I see something that I could do that would be beneficial. But sometimes I think, you know, if I do that, no one is going to notice it. And furthermore, if they do notice it, they won't know who did it anyway. So it's not really going to make any difference, so why bother? But God sees those little things you do. If there's dirt in the floor and you stop to clean it up, no one may notice, but God will notice. He sees. God sees. Not only does God see what no one else sees, God also sees beyond what you do. He sees your motives, and that's very clear from our text passage here. He sees why we do things, and the reason why we do them he indicates, is much more significant than the actual, actual fact of doing them. Prayers offered simply to tickle the ears of men will reach no farther than the sound vibrations will travel. Proverbs 16 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. You know, I can do things that I think are good, says, but the Lord weighs the spirits. He, he weighs the motivation behind that. And then he goes on to say, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So God sees beyond what you do. He sees the motivation as to why you do it. Furthermore, God sees what you do, but he also sees what you fail to do. There's a verse that challenges me found in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Samuel is speaking to the people of Israel. And if I remember right, it's near the end of his ministry and they're talking about the relationship to God and how they have failed God sometimes. And Samuel made a statement to the people. He says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Did you ever think of not praying for someone as a sin? 
Interesting verse. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. You see, God sees not only what you do, but he sees what you don't do or what you fail to do as well. How many opportunities have you passed up simply because of convenience or it would have been an inconvenience? James 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So God sees what you fail to do. Are we doing it as unto him? This is the vital recognition. Two examples of people who I think lived their lives for an audience of one. Two people that were more concerned about what God thought of them than anything else. Two people that I think should challenge every one of us as we think about their lives. One of them was Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with vain recognition, with doing what people would approve of. It was vain. He purposed in his heart that even in a foreign land, he was going to live for an audience of one. And that was the God that he had learned about in his child, childhood in his homeland. He purposed in his heart that it was only the vital recognition that mattered. Not the vain recognition, not even the valid recognition, but the vital recognition. And he purposed in his heart that even if it meant death, he would not deny the one that he was living to please. That purpose stayed with him through life, even to the time when he was an old man. When that decree was signed that no one was allowed to pray to any God or to anyone except to the king, as Daniel was led to that den of lions, prepared to be cast into the den of lions, I would imagine that Daniel assumed this was the end of his life. But he had an audience of one. He wasn't concerned about those people that were hiding in the bushes watching, watching him. He wasn't even concerned about the king which could have been considered a valid recognition. He was concerned about the vital recognition. What does God think about what I do? Am I loyalty to God? Am I loyal to God? That purpose stayed with him. To him, it was vital. Another example of a man who lived for an audience of one is Joseph. Joseph was living in Egypt, carried away from his homeland, away from home, away from anybody who knew him. He was away from anyone who respected him. He was nothing more than a slave. What did people care about him? He was away from anyone that knew the God of his fathers. He was living in a pagan world. And in that situation, or in that environment, he was thrown into a situation of intense temptation. I think the Bible details enough of what took place there that we can understand that this was an extremely difficult situation for Joseph. I believe he found himself in a situation where every cell in his body was crying out for him to respond to that temptation. And he could have cried out, who cares what I do? My life has already been ruined. Nobody gives a care what I do. My life can't get any worse than this. I'm a slave anyway. But you know what? Joseph was not living for the praise of men. He was not living for vain recognition. 
He wasn't living for earthly acknowledgement. He wasn't even living for what he may have considered the valid recognition of his boss's wife. He was living for an audience of one, the vital recognition of God, and to him, that was all that mattered. So, there is vain recognition. There is valid recognition. But there is a vital recognition. Which recognition are you living for? Does your life cry out by your actions? Look at me. Look, Mom, no hands. Look, Mom, no feet. Look what I can do. Are you crying out for the recognition of men? Or are you just humbly looking up at God and saying, God, here I am. I want you to search my life. I want you to examine me. I want you to examine my motives and see if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's any impurity in me. If anything I do, I'm doing for the wrong reason. Because God, I really want to do it for you and as unto you. Jesus said, take heed that ye do not your alms or your good deeds before men to be seen of them. Do not be like the hypocrites, they have, that they may have glory of men. And when you pray, don't be as the hypocrites, that they may be seen of men. Don't be like them. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, that they may appear unto men to fast. They have their reward. But thou, when thou doest alms, do not do them before men. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when thou fastest, thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see why I say there are many topics in this passage, but there is one recurring theme that we see throughout here. Why do we do what we do? Is it to impress people, or is it to please and honor our Father which is in heaven? Now, I find it interesting that the timing of this message falls during a time of social distancing. Perhaps this is a good time to evaluate why we do what we do. A good time to evaluate our lives. Some of us do not have very much contact with other people, haven't had much contact with other people in recent weeks. Our social circles have really been narrowed. So, have I done things differently when people don't see what I do, when people aren't watching, or when I don't go to church for a while, when I don't sit in a church congregation? Sometimes there seems to be this attitude that if I don't go to church for a while, or if I live for a while in a community away from the church, well, then it really doesn't matter how I live, or what I do, or how I appear. So, do you do what you do only because men are watching? Or does it make a difference what God thinks? Something to think about. Good time to evaluate our lives. Perhaps we have some extra time to just think about why we do what we do. So why do you do what you do? Whose approval are you seeking? 
Let us live for the approval of God. There should be no higher motivation for anything we do on this earth than to receive God's approval. Jim Elliott, when he was in college, made the statement that he was pursuing his AOG degree, approved unto God. That is our motivation. Close with several verses. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Approved unto God. Study, in this case, simply means to be diligent. Put forth every effort, endeavor, to be approved unto God, that you don't need to be ashamed. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Approved unto God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. In Paul's testimony, he says, We were allowed of God, or approved by God, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. He was referring to bearing the gospel message, not to please men, but for God. I think that applies as well in every detail of our lives. And in the end, the only words that will really matter are the words of Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's my prayer that each one of us will hear those words at the end of a life that is lived before an audience of one, God himself. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your presence wherever we are. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in these days when our our lives have been changed and different. And for the assurance that you see us, even if we're hurting, even if we're feeling rejected or disappointed in various things, you see and you care. You see our attitudes. And Lord, I pray that they would be pleasing to you. I pray that you would just um, cleanse us and purify us each day of our lives. I think of the testimony of Job when he says, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Lord, I pray that each one of us would would pass every test that's before us, and that we would come forth as gold before you, so that we could hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Amen.